Welcome to another episode of the New Ground Life and Leadership Podcast. Uh, today, I'm so excited to be joined by Dr. Kate Middleton, a Christian psychologist, regular conference speaker, author, and director of the Mind and Self Foundation, which is an organization that seeks to equip churches and Christians on issues surrounding mental health. Kate also leads, the heads, uh, leads Be Headstrong, a youth mental health charity, I believe, has written five books covering topics such as anxiety, self-harm, and eating disorders. Uh, so Kate, as we were saying in the introduction, you are a busy lady. <laughs> Kate, <laughs> welcome. It's great to have you on the show. Yeah, it's brilliant to be with you. Um, now, I mentioned to you earlier, but in, in the run-up to today, I was reading a book just this morning that footnoted some of your, your work already. So, there's, And I, I've seen from the internet how busy you are with, with seminars and conferences that you've been doing. Um, but we're going to be having a conversation today about the pandemic and mental health and resilience and, and things and picking up as much wisdom and tips as we can. Um, but Kate, as we kind of get into things, I'd love to just hear from you what perhaps one of your biggest things that you've learned either about yourself or leadership in the past six months is yeah that's such an interesting question um and and i've been reflecting on that a little bit recently because this has been such a weird phase we went into it in march and we didn't really know how long it was going to last and now here we are suddenly it's practically the end of the year how did that happen no. and gosh what what a weird year this has been like what have we learned and i was literally praying about that earlier today and i was remembering right at the beginning of 2020 like god really spoke to me about the, about a passage and about a message which was about how to hold your nerve when everything around you is chaos and I really felt God saying like this is the message I want you to be teaching leaders this year it's something for you personally as well that this year is going to be significant and I just think now I look back to like January when I first felt that sense I started praying into it reading into it and then when I started to teach it and I remember a couple of key um, leader sessions that I spoke on that topic and we talked about that stuff and talking about things like the battle for your mind and how as leaders we wrestle with anxiety and stress and some of that sort of stuff and me talking in beautiful naivety about the need to hold your nerve when all around you is chaos and then we hit lockdown <laughs> and then I found out what that really meant and I just think gosh that it's been such an interesting season when we I just don't think anybody's ever known a session when universally as people we've all been pushed into a space where mental and emotional health and well-being is under such pressure and for me as a psychologist as a leader I think it's been a unique time and space where the things I'm speaking into for other people are also things I'm sort of frantically putting into place myself and with my own family um, and I'm super aware of being in the same storm as everyone else uh, with the same challenges mm -hmm. and um, for us as a as a family you know it's been like you say it's been phenomenally busy my daughter's like suddenly everybody wants to know hear from the psychologist I'm like yes we're finally popular <laughs> um, so it has been really busy but it's also been really pressured you know we've we've had seasons my husband's a lawyer uh, so he's been super busy we've been homeschooling it's it's been crazy mm. so yeah I think that that space of just understanding how do you hold pressure how do you hold challenge how do you keep calm mm. but also why particularly in leadership those things are such valuable and important qualities you know and, and why so much of releasing our potential and being able to hold really well what god is calling us to what he's longing to do through us we we think as human beings that the most important skills we'll need to learn are maybe like super preaching skills or brilliant high capacity organizational skills or you know 
how to use Zoom this year, whatever it is. But actually that ability to understand yourself really well, to hold your emotions really well, um, that that's so valuable. And I think this year has taught us a lot. It's, it's been it's been hard because for those of us in leadership and those of us perhaps in a public position of um, encouraging people into spiritual and personal self-care the, the pressure is then on to make sure that you don't drop the ball on that either when you're equally in like you said in the same boat what are some of the ways that that kate middleton stays fresh and looks after her own well-being and how do you try to safeguard some of your 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 family how do you safeguard your kids and put those things into your home as well yeah, uh, and, and, and you know, I don't get that stuff right all the time. I don't think anyone does. And this has been a really, really busy season. I think everybody is to some degree pretty shattered right now. Um, and I would definitely count myself in that. But I would say it's interesting because, it, you know, the, the Exodus account um, of the, the, that infamous commandment that we all so struggle with, you know, I'm doing quite well at not murdering people in most of my day to day life, although sometimes in lockdown it became a little <laughs> bit more difficult than normal. But that one about the Sabbath, about rest is so, so challenging. But there's that verse, isn't there, that says, even in seasons of harvest. So even in times when you're really busy, when there's loads you need to be doing, you must rest. You must stop. And the, the Hebrew word that's used in that verse does literally mean desist. It's like a legal term. It's really strong. Just stop whatever it is. That's, that's draining you, whatever it is that's demanding your time, your energy, whatever it is that's relentless in this season, it's so important that you stop. And I would say for me in this season and in other busy seasons of my life, absolutely resolutely sticking to some of the stuff that, that I would advise other people around boundaries, around rest, around headspace. I am so aware that I could not have got through this season if I hadn't been sometimes ridiculously strict and careful with that. So during lockdown, being, being I was going to use the religious word, maybe slightly complex word to use, but, but really, really careful about my days off and making sure much more than normal that I wasn't just slipping in to check an email or picking mm. up the odd thing here and there as much as I could. Mm. I'm a big biker. I love to get out on my bike. And for me, that is about just getting away. It's getting away from people. So I don't want people coming cycling with me. Thank you very much. I like to go on my own. And I've never biked so much, actually, which has been nice. It's one of the few good things about lockdown and empty roads and working from home. It's the mm. opportunity to do that. Um, mm. and, th and that's kept me sane. But it, it's been interesting. And like I say, for me, how I've had to go back to those sort of first most basic principles and foundations that I'm always teaching other people and really think, hang on, how do I do that? So physically, emotionally and, and spiritually, you know, like getting back into some really good, clear rhythms of how to connect with God, doing that in a different way. Because, of course, like a lot of people, I've not been able to be in the normal church spaces that mm. I've been in, you know, so. Mm. It's interesting, that you, you know, you'd answer as well by going to that Sabbath idea, because it, it seems to me that Sabbath fell out of favour with the church for a number of years. I didn't hear anyone talking about it, but in the last year and a half or so, I feel like it's as though people have rediscovered that part of their Bible going, wait, this is actually a really good idea. <laughs> we should do this. Um, is that something you've observed? as well or, or am I just in a different circle no, yeah, you've been practicing for a long right. time yeah I mean I think the pace of 21st century life and 
some an awareness that there's something about our culture that is draining our emotional well-being in so many places and and just so many people struggling with issues around stress and exhaustion i mean just in a normal year never mind this year and i know for some people this year has has involved some periods of rest and time out actually some people who were who were furloughed but were in a position where they could just relax they knew they had jobs to go back to i know there have been some nice seasons for some but for a lot of people it's been really challenging and I think all of that has led us into a space where we were already starting to explore this stuff a bit more and maybe become more aware of the need for it. And, and even in terms of to, our approach to God and to spiritual space and worship, you know, I've, I've been seeing a lot more interest in sort of contemplative space, quiet spaces, things like mindfulness meditation, which follows in part a cultural move towards some of those things outside of the church, but also within the church, I think is a general sort of move of, of, of something of how we are as people mm. are needing to connect with God in the culture in which we're doing Doing our life and ministry there's a sort of balance to that a counteracting to it yeah i think it's been interesting because over the last few years in, on university campuses there's been a lot of talk about the need for creating uh, what are called safe spaces and although some people have have spoken out against the idea of safe space the reality is in a society like this where you're bombarded by information ideas all the time you do need places of sanctuary don't you and rest and places of protection and nurture almost like previous generations didn't need that because they could go home and that you said before they could go home shut the door and the world is out there whereas now the world is inside it's in our teenagers yeah. bedrooms on their phones uh, as a, a mum of uh, of teenagers uh, what are some of the the ways that you safeguard the the mental health of your children uh we have interestingly a lot of conversations so i think one of the main things that we need to do as parents is create some safe spaces where they can chat and discuss um i mean one of the most important qualities that we've got to teach all all kids our kids kids we're leading any kids we have influence over is the ability to to try to make good decisions themselves and how to weigh up incredibly complex information and um, you know the, our kids growing up now they are the google generation they're, they're all information is at their fingertips in fact like they, they know a lot more about most things than i do they're generally way ahead of me in terms of information but what what's harder is how you weigh that up how you make good decisions some of the tricky stuff around like fake news like what do you trust what don't you trust how do you make good decisions based on what you're seeing what you're reading how do you balance the need to be to be savvy and wise with with not becoming too cynical and too just mistrustful which i think is really hard for this generation mm. and so for us as parents creating spaces where they can have those conversations and where possible empowering them to make those decisions so mm. i of often say to other parents you know your, your most important phrase when you hit the teenage years is, is is something around how can i help you to manage this so wherever possible just empowering them supporting them but enabling them to grow independence, make good decisions. Um, and, and, and I, as a parent, I love to do that wherever, as much as possible, if they're capable of doing things on their own, just giving them the space and the freedom to do that, to watch them grow, to watch them flourish. But mm. loads of chatting around what they're doing, why they're doing it, reflecting on it. Because mm. um, this is a complex world. And, and I think you, you've talked about, about some of these complexities, but our world likes to push us into cultural narratives that says that there's a right or a wrong answer that makes everything really binary and and actually what that our kids are sometimes just 
confused and bewildered by that because the reality is most things exist in the gray space in between and yet mm. they're, they're in positions where there there is a right answer and if they say the wrong thing in air quotes on social media or whatsapp or whichever group they're on then they will get torn apart for it so there is you know there's always i think there's often a sense when i'm talking to young people around this thing of what's the right answer mm. in a space where there's there's just so much complexity and actually what we can do therefore is create some safe spaces where they can explore that and nobody's going to tear them apart mm. because they do need to bounce those things around in their heads and there's gosh so many complex subjects mm. and topics and things going on right now both within um their faith and and outside of their faith if you've got kids growing up in a faith culture and doing life in the sort of secular world it's just doubly complex yeah they are poor kids um, uh, i just you made a, a comment earlier about a, a joke that your your daughter made that um or, or you may have made actually that psychologists are popular for the first time and uh, what, what i know is you know it's humorous but i know what's interesting is that psychology has been increasing in popularity probably for the last 40 or 50 years it's outside the church there's you know big learnings and strides forward in understanding um the, the way the human mind works and things but it really seems to me that only in the last 10 15 years max maybe that the church has started um talking about it and appropriating some of the, the language from psychology and the lessons from psychology how have you, I mean, how have you as a, as a Christian, as a psychologist, managed to straddle both worlds and try to get them talking? Have you noticed a change in the church? What are some observations yeah. you've had about culture and church? Yeah, we definitely have. So myself and my colleagues at the Mind and Soul Foundation, so we, we are two psychiatrists, uh, a vicar and a psychologist, which sounds like the beginning of a joke, but mm. that is just that is the Mind and Soul Foundation. And, and we as a foundation have been around for, um, gosh, getting frighteningly close to two decades now, but that will age us all. So let's gloss over that. But mm. I think in those two decades, we have seen that real change. And when we when we started, when we first met and, and Rob and Wilma, my colleagues who founded the organization and they met me and then recently Chi Chi who's joined us we were passionate about getting the church talking and in those days mental and emotional health just wasn't really a topic that was discussed in church spaces and if you went to a conference or space like that you you maybe might get one seminar on something but but even that was unusual mm. and and so our first decade really was spent just saying that this is important and trying to move from uh, a culture that would have seen those things as very separate and, and even was a bit nervous about this concept of psychology and therapeutic input and gosh how does that fit with our reliance and go on god and some of those issues mm. and and so the first decade was really about talking about some of those issues getting the church talking and reflecting and understanding this field and and then of course not just in the church but in our wider culture as well interest in these topics did start to build partly sadly because needs started to build and we started to see so much more struggle and difficulty and distress in these areas um, and really our second sort of decade in the space we're in now is much more therefore about shaping the conversation so mm. it's about great now we're talking about these issues what does it mean to have those conversations well to speak something that is enabling rather than disabling mm. and 
to really input a message and a story to our culture that is about what does it mean to flourish? You know, even in crazy times like this, can we find a way that isn't just about surviving, just about getting through, but is about thriving, about doing life really well? And, mm -hmm. and what does it mean to do that? And, and I guess for me, one of my real passions is that overlap space of, of what the Bible says about some of these topics that mm. not only fits with what we know about human psychology, which is kind of exciting for me, but mm. also adds this extra amazing dimension. You know, it's like just opening up this extra potential possibility to our understanding of ourselves as people, what we could be, what we could do, and much more importantly, what we carry and what God can do through us. Mm. Do you... I mean, you mentioned obviously when, when psychology and psychiatry were, were learning lessons, there was a nervousness and maybe perhaps not just a nervousness, but a, a sense of pastors and Bible teachers just didn't know the things that psychologists and psychiatrists knew. So they couldn't teach them. And there wasn't there was a but there's also a fear because it's new and, it, and it's extra biblical. Um, is there areas where you think there there is? like you said there's overlap where are some of the areas where actually as a christian and as a psychologist you think we're right to kind of try to make sure we don't cross that boundary where are some of the boundaries and fences or is that even the wrong way of looking at this that we shouldn't be approaching this with fear and and concern but embracing as much of the learnings as we can like we would with other sciences yeah i mean i definitely don't think that we should be approaching it with fear i think we can equip ourselves and resource ourselves with good understanding and then we can approach it with wisdom and that that does mean wisdom about what we can do what we can't do as church leaders or as people offering pastoral support or friendship depending on where you're coming at these things from in a church sort of space or in a community space you know so many churches are working on the front line in their local communities and just engaging with people on a day-to-day -day basis as 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 friendship spaces as mentoring spaces as, as support spaces and in all those spaces to have good knowledge and understanding around mental and emotional health is really important you know the reality is our local nhs mental health services are mostly staffed with amazing dedicated people but they are massively under-resourced and and under huge pressure and again that was before the pandemic so as the thresholds at which they're able to provide really good treatment input are raised just because of that pressure this space in the community where there is need that that does become bigger and there's useful things that we can do as as church leaders as people of faith as, as just people getting involved and providing good support and like we've talked about conversation spaces friendship mm. spaces stuff like that i mean you you say is there a boundary i think it is really important that we recognize we're not providing treatment so for me i i'm a psychologist but if i'm working as a church leader i'm not treating people what i'm providing is a form of pastoral and spiritual support and maybe emotional support and there is a boundary there and i think it's important that people recognize what they do and they don't know and so support that's offered by a church or a community project that's never a replacement for the appropriate professional support treatment monitoring all of those things but it can be the most amazing alongside space and and it can support and enable that treatment as well so often when people are maybe seeing a therapist or a, a professional expert what what they need alongside that is some safe spaces where they can unpack it where they can maybe do 
do homework where they can think it through, talk it through, pray it through, even if they're, if they've got a faith as well. Mm. And, um, and that's the sort of space that we can provide. Mm. Do you think that Christians ought to be, um, ought to always seek out Christian counsellors? Or do you think actually you wouldn't go see a Christian doctor? So why do you need a Christian counsellor? Or do you think because you were dealing with the mind and spirit is something different there? What are your reflections on that? I, I think a lot of that is down to personal, your personal preference. So for some people, it's incredibly important, you know, uh, a therapeutic relationship. It's not like a normal friendship, but it is a relationship. You are connecting with someone and you're going to unpack some stuff that's really personal to you. And so if for you, it's really important that that person shares your faith perspective, that that's totally fine. And, mm. and, and you should seek someone out who does share that faith perspective. But the most important thing in a therapeutic relationship is finding someone who you can have that sort of click with, who you can get on with and feel comfortable with, feel safe with. And, and one of the most important skills as, as a therapist that I recognize is the ability to engage with people, to get on with people, to help them feel comfortable. Now, a good therapist should be able to hold you as a person, whatever your faith background, family background, life experience background. So it may be that the person that you feel the best click with doesn't share your faith perspective. And I don't think that's necessarily a bad thing as long as they are sensitive to it, as long as they value it because it matters to you. I mean, I've, I've had some experience working with individuals who are seeing therapists who don't share the their christian faith who have made the most amazingly astute comments about this god who as from what i understand god would wouldn't god want you to feel this or you know and that have been absolutely brilliant so i definitely wouldn't write off secular therapists and i think there's always a space for as i say that kind of um parallel support space where if you're seeing a secular therapist because a lot of experts in their field particularly if you're if you're struggling with a more complex or more serious mental health problem you know the reality is you're just not going to be able to pick and choose like that and you're going to need more than a christian counselor and you may mm. be able to find a professional who shares your faith but you may not mm. and, and so seeing someone who is a, has a secular expertise but also finding a space where you can meet with someone to regularly and intentionally pray through that therapeutic space you know that can be tremendously valuable and i i think we shouldn't limit god we shouldn't like put boxes around him um, and God's able to work through all kinds of different combinations of support for you. Yeah, absolutely. I, I, I love um, Francis Schaeffer's comment about uh, all truth belongs to God, or all truth is God's truth. Actually, as Christians, we probably need a, a more holistic reading and understanding appreciation of God's world rather than yeah. boxing it, like you say. Um, well, let's let's come on to, I mean, to talk, I guess, more specifically about the, the rise in mental health disorders over the last few years, but particularly over the pandemic. Do you have any, uh, I mean, we hear it a lot, that certainly the, the lockdown has been hugely detrimental to people's mental health and personal well-being. Do you have any sense of the scale that we're talking, the statistics out there on how many people are suffering mental health disorders? Well, it's an interesting question. And to some degree, the answer depends on your definitions, doesn't it? Now, what we've seen is a season that universally has challenged our mental and emotional well-being. But in a way, 
the question that you've just asked reveals a bit of a problem in terms of how we think about mental and emotional well-being because we tend to think of it too much as a sort of two-box model so we think again it's we try and think of it as binary we're either well or we're ill and there's no space in between and and hopefully we spend most of our life in the well box but occasionally something crazy happens like global pandemic and if we're unlucky it it puts enough pressure on it that one day pop we sort of quantum leap from one box into the other and become ill and, and and the risk is is that if that's our model we don't engage we don't do anything about our mental health until we hit crisis and become really what we would then call unwell because something feels dramatically different enough or bad enough that we would now put ourselves in that ill box and the reality is of course it's it's a line you know we all have mental and emotional health like we all have physical health and life pushes us up and down that line. And a season like the one we've been in has probably pushed us all down a bit. I think almost everyone, and, and that in some ways as a psychologist, you know, there's, there's a sort of benign fascination with watching everybody you know get pushed down the line and, and also watching the gradual disintegration of your own sort of normally very stable mental and emotional well-being because we've all been put under pressure and we've all had moments where that has shown you know I had to I had to confess to my family mid-lockdown when it became apparent that our Alexa was broken and, and there was a mystery as to where this had happened. But, but on, a, on a slightly pressured day, I had come in to grab a coffee whilst in my defence juggling many different pressures and things going on. And, and I had said, Alexa, please play the radio. And Alexa, having trouble as usual with our internet connection, had just said, I'm sorry, I'm not able to do that right now. And in a moment of my manners, I picked it up and slammed it down on the work counter <laughs> and broke it. I just, I just lost it. Now I am not normally prone to teenage outbursts like that, but you know, gosh, we've all been pushed down the line. Mm -hmm. Now your question, like how many people are now unwell or in a space where you'd say they're really struggling, I think depends on, on what, what you define as unwell. So I would suggest that in this season, and cause it is unfortunately still ongoing, it's going to be probably spring at least, you know, let's pray that vaccines and all of that can come together and that we will in the new year start to see the, the first mm. signs of coming out of this. But it is going to be a few more months. Mm. Um, we should be putting things into place right away, not waiting till we become really ill. But I've been doing stuff every day for eight months now that are designed to try and keep me treading water, keep me going through a difficult season, keeping my kids going, keeping my family going. I'm interested in how to support a husband who's been working from the same box office room for eight months now. You know, it's, it's hard for people who've been working at home for that long and who've lost their normal connections and getting out of the house, you know. So I think we do need to think about well-being rather than illness. But at the same time, there will be plenty of people who in this season, perhaps for the first time, have encountered something that they would definitely describe as illness or people who have previously been ill who've relapsed people whose ongoing conditions particularly around anxiety have worsened in this season and and it's difficult to put exact figures on that mm. i mean there are some things which have been so hugely common so sleep is a really interesting one you know when we went into lockdown the rates of people struggling with sleep issues and around um, insomnia absolutely rocketed mm. um probably because of the the raise in everybody's stress levels mm. um, now would, would we define all of those as having a an ongoing illness 
probably not. Most of those hopefully will resolve once life settles down, but it is certainly a current challenge for many people. Yeah, I mean, that's really helpful, Kate, and really helpful, you know, push back to even my, my question and comment, because maybe it's in part due to you see the adverts on the TV and their emphasis a lot of the time is on the mental health crisis and people are really struggling and, you know, reach out and it emphasizes the the, the illness end of the spectrum. Mm. But I guess part of the danger of that or the problem of that is it the illness end of the spectrum is the territory of experts. Therefore, it, it de, um, disempowers the average person in your family and community and church to actually be of any use to anyone. Because you think, oh, if you've got an illness, I need to send you to a doctor. Whereas actually, if, it, if it's a spectrum of well-being, we can all be doing a lot more to help one another's general sense of well-being. Um, which, I, you know, so, so what are some of the... What would be some of your top five, I guess? Let's go for that. Top five things that you think people should be aware of when it comes to thinking about their own well-being and helping support other people's well-being. Is that yeah, too harsh okay. to throw that on you? Give me five. Yeah, that sounds like fun. Um, <laughs> <laughs> that does sound like fun. And I think we should apply it to particularly to the current situation because that is where we all are. But all of these things would be universally true. They're just particularly true right now in a way that's perhaps more stark than normal. And I and I think it's definitely about well-being focus, isn't it? And 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 trying to move away from that illness focused model so that so that we are because ultimately you, you want to, you know, if you get in the car and you're driving somewhere, you put program into your sat at the place you do want to get to, not the place you don't want to get to. So we should be <laughs> aiming at wellness. So let's think about that. So so let's go number one, let's go um how do we manage stress? And in this season in particular, how do we recognize and deal with the fact that we are all under more stress than usual? You know, things this has been this has been such oh, I don't want to use the dreadful unprecedented word but it has been that because of how it's knocked out everything about normal life and your brain uses routine and rhythm to keep the demand on it low because most of our everyday life in a normal year is done on automatic pilot you know it's monday you do what you do on mondays it's wednesday you do what you do on wednesdays and i don't think we've ever had a season before where everything in life just vanished and and literally nothing none of those usual handholds were there it's like climbing a wall and suddenly all of your handholds are gone and the walls are different shape and all of that requires a lot more work from your brain and mm. and we tend to think of stress as distress and if i'm not distressed then why am i feeling stressed but stress is anything that requires work from your brain so in this season whether you were distressed by it or not and some people were managing a lot more distress than usual but your stress level did go up. And, and because we do all have this sort of crisis level, this overwhelm point where even at a brain level, your capacity to cope with everything life is throwing at you in that moment starts to get overwhelmed. You literally start to feel like you're going under. Mm. That matters. So many of us have been living on the edge of overwhelm now for like eight months. And when you're there, you know, it's like, waves in a pool if your baseline's nice and low a little wave a little challenge of everyday life like your relaxer not working say it's fine you can manage that but if you're right on the edge of overwhelm a little wave like that feels like a massive deal and emotions like anxiety and frustration are on the same physiological system so a population of people living on the edge of overwhelm means a population of people who are constantly on the edge of either freaking out or or, or losing it and we've all become very prickly, we've become very reactive, so there's more conflict around, more anxiety around, that raises stress levels even more. So, 
managing stress well is about your rhythm your routine and and in pandemic life that's about trying to find one trying to roll with whatever the latest set of changes are you know it feels like mm. you've just got into one rhythm and everything goes up in the air again but mm. trying to keep stepping stones in the sort of river of life where you can this is what i do on my wednesdays this is what i do on my saturdays keeping yeah. rhythms and routines as much as you can but yeah. also about rest and and it is about if not literal sabbath but what do you do and when do you do it to rest regularly because that's like dropping your stress level because mm. so much of life's challenge you will deal with better if you're not on the edge of overwhelm and recognizing it you know just thinking now is not a good time for me to respond to that email because if i respond right now when i'm i'm in the, the overwhelm zone i am going to send something i'm probably going to regret tomorrow so mm. going away going for a walk going for a ride having a cuppa before you do that so you're dropping out of that zone so that's, that's my number one number one that's time up on number one sorry did i use <laughs> do all your time up no 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 we'll, we'll get we'll get it's interesting that you say about stress because you know i know for example part of my weekly routine has become to turn my phone off for for 24 hours a week and i can feel my brain just ease up a bit when i know that i can't be contacted it's not even that i will you know it's not even that i'm really busy but to suddenly know your brain just loosens it's like ah oh, welcome back to reality um so number one is stress be aware be aware of your stress levels and monitor that uh, get lots of rest relaxation very good next one um, so let's go negative emotions then um, and, and sort of the need to manage and process those. And again, I think that's always part of life, but particularly in this season. And there's probably three particular bad guys that we've all probably been dealing with to, to some degree, greater or lesser extent. And that's loss anxiety and, and frustration, which has already come up. But um, so loss, I just think because it's been everywhere and because it's a particularly tricky emotion, we don't like it as human beings. Emotions are most difficult for us as people when we don't really want to be having them because part of our instinct therefore is to suppress them and try not to have them, which is a good short-term strategy and, and, and is part of adult emotional maturity you know you can't just be acting and reacting all over the place everywhere like a toddler that wouldn't work but if that's your only strategy to deal with an emotion um you, you're going to hit problems because the job of an emotion is to grab your attention it's your brain's way of saying this needs you to do something with it and so emotions that we don't like are difficult and loss pain distress we'd, we'd rather not have them and i think in this season in particular whether it is grief because so many people have dealt with grief in this season either unfortunately because of covid and, and loss of loved ones through that awful virus or because of just the normal grief passages that people encounter in any year but in this year that's so much more complicated without the normal human rituals without the ability to share a hug with people or even have a funeral we're seeing what we call complicated grief which makes it sound a bit high maintenance it just means grief that lasts longer and is more difficult to manage and mm. but you don't feel like you're able to move on mm. we're seeing rates of that go up but also wider loss, you know, loss of your routine, loss for teenagers and young people of, of, of life, significant life moments or, you know, um, significant points that, that they're not going to get. Again, I mean, who would have thought that teenagers would ever complain about not being able to do A-levels? But then you start <laughs> to think about it and think, actually, no, that does really suck. 
like you never got that chance to prove yourself mm. and, and i think there are some things like that that will trigger loss and, and a lot of us are, are are trying to keep going with some of these things in the background and, mm. and we do need to figure out a way to allow ourselves to express them you know as a culture in the UK, we're not super expressive with our emotions. Mm. Some cultures are more expressive. And it's interesting to reflect on that, isn't it? You know, the story of Lazarus, there's a, a story of loss when Lazarus dies and Jesus gets there after he's died and he's met with this wall of grief. And this is a story where he's ultimately gonna, he's gonna bring the guy back from the dead. The whole point of the story is that you don't need to cry because Jesus is gonna sort it. But what does Jesus do when he gets there? He cries. And in fact, the, the Greek tells us that he, he really like howls. It's proper sobbing. It's not just like a delicate tear. So the only reason that that can possibly make sense for Jesus, who is God in the human brain and body that he designed, the only reason that that makes sense is if there is something really important about it, allowing ourselves to express these awkward emotions like mm. love. That's really um, whether it's good. for us personally, whether it's for us in community, it matters. Yeah. So loss, anxiety as well, such a tricky emotion, something that people tend to think of as illness, but actually is, is an essential human emotion. And in times when so much is changing, so much is uncertain, and there's a lot of risk around having to learn how to manage anxiety, how to hold that. Because if we are panicked by our own anxiety we create a cycle that does lead to illness which is mm. why so many people struggle with anxiety i yeah. think you've written a book on anxiety as well haven't you i have I'm written sure. a short book a short book on um, how to manage anxiety it's a longer book that i want to write so okay because it's such a fascinating topic and there's some amazing biblical stuff around fear and anxiety mm. and worry um, i heard you say um back in january actually i really love you you, you just brought the observation that when the bible says do not be afraid it's not saying do not experience the emotion of fear it's saying don't run or something like that is that right that's one of the greek words okay. translated yeah and and that in particular is in the story where um where jesus walks on water uh, across to the disciples and, th and they're in this moment that's really challenging in the middle of the night trying to get across the lake and yes what he says to them is do not fear and so often that we, we hear that as though it's a reprimand, like you're an idiot for suffering anxiety, but that's an inevitable human reaction. Actually, the word that's used there is a very specific one that refers to that overwhelmed space where fear becomes panic. It becomes you feeling like, I can't cope with this. I can't do it. I, the only thing I can do is run. And, mm. and that's what he's saying they don't need to feel so yeah feel anxious because you're in a tight spot but but what you don't need to do is freak out you don't need to feel like you're going to drown here and of course in that story he's saying the ultimate reason is because he's with them he's mm. got this he's he's got them and mm. that's powerful oh yeah there's so much great stuff. yeah there is that's brilliant i know you you've also commented before on the importance of of lament for the christian and lament for the church we must to rediscover the significance of that perhaps in a season like this you you said earlier about churches leaning into contemplative styles of worship that seems at the very at the very least it seems to allow us as charismatic gospel-centered churches to recognize not every sunday needs to be really happy <laughs> not every sunday <laughs> needs to be swinging from chandeliers sometimes we just need to breathe allow some space you know allow our brains to just recognize the negative emotions we're experiencing and try to bring them to the foot of the cross well it's um, interesting and so if if negative emotions and expressing was my number two i think number three would be about processing and, and okay. peace and headspace 
and and I think you're dead right in a busy loud world mm. that, that can be a bit relentless in a really good way you know I love to be busy I love the buzz but our brains aren't designed to be on all the time and some of some of them are exhausted and again that was even before we hit pandemic especially now and so you know alongside those emotions the job of your of an emotion is to grab your attention and it grabs your attention because there's something there that you need to figure out and that's the need to process and i think we underestimate how often our minds do need processing space so you know take loss for example oh my goodness in this season there's so much stuff that i sometimes feel like you know i'll have a moment where there's just a comment or something happens and i feel like i need to lie on the floor for about an hour just to figure out what does that mean what does it mean for what i've just been through what does it mean for what i'm going forward into what does it mean for how i bring up my children for how i act and react as a leader there are so many things here that are massive because they've questioned foundational beliefs that we have about the world about ourselves about life mm. its predictability its security you know we need processing space but we need it all the time whenever something has changed whenever something's gone on and it could be good stuff maybe you just got married maybe you just had a, your first baby or your second baby or maybe you just retired or you changed jobs or you're praying into a calling or whatever it is you need processing space and sometimes we do just need things to stop and and i think the skill of doing that is one that increasingly we're having to deliberately learn because now we've got phones and stuff. We don't ever have empty space anymore, do we? I mean, I don't, no. you know, I've always got something I could do, read, you know, emails to answer, Twitter accounts to, you know, browse. <laughs> it's, there's always something. So actually the, the practice of creating space mm. is something we've suddenly had to practice. Mm. And, and so that's really interesting yeah the um experience of boredom is uh is not one that we often have we run from it because boredom is crushing and it's and it, it's anxiety inducing a lot of the time but i think that that unhurried i don't know what i'm gonna do i've got nothing to do that's okay learn it i think pascal talks about our main problem is that we um we can't sit alone in our room with our thoughts can we we we, we find that crushing and um and terrifying terrifying yeah. find that terrifying the idea they might be on their own with their own thoughts yeah yeah uh, how much of that this is a slight tangent we'll go with it though the the concept of the the need for us to feel as though we have a genuine reason for being a purpose mm. to get us going you talk about the loss of routine but certainly for a lot of us you know to be told you're a non-essential service <laughs> for a lot of people like what non-essential i've devoted my life to this you're telling me yeah. i'm non-essential that yeah. that robs people of some dignity how much as a psychologist would you say having a sense of purpose and meaning is, is an important part of someone's well-being yeah i mean i mean that that's a really that's a really valuable point i think um our, our productivity in the sense that we're having an impact on the world is really, really important. And, and alongside that control as well, actually. I mean, we are, people joke about some of us, I won't mention any names, but they will joke about some of us being control freaks. But the reality is we're all control freaks. You know, if you look at the Genesis story, God creates the world. And that story is, is all about the balance between order and disorder, chaos and order. Um, and God holding the balance between those two things, bringing beauty and creativity out of disorder and chaos. 
And then what he does is he puts human beings in charge and he says, right, so now it's over to you. Hold that balance, you know, subdue the earth, literally meaning wow. keep it, keep that balance. And it's interesting when we look at a season like this about, about how sometimes our actions and decisions as humans do feel like they, they enable chaos to bubble back up from within creation, you know, mm. but I, I think that it is intrinsic in our, in our um, creation as human beings reflecting the nature of God, that we, we do need to, feel like we have control like we have influence like we have mm. agency we talk about agency don't we that's so you can make decisions about your own life that's what's so weird about this season like you you get that phone call from track or trace and suddenly in a moment in a split second you lose all agency over your life mm. and i've heard so many people saying like why was i so upset you know people saying like i stood there as an adult and bawled in the street when i got that call why and it's because mm. that like, when has that ever happened to us before? Our only other narratives for that would be if, if, if you're a criminal and you're put in prison or, you know, or if you're trapped and something's gone really badly wrong. So mm. we've had to design whole new narratives to understand this stuff. And yeah, one of the practical tips and tricks that, that I've been using to help people get through just lockdown in general, but particularly isolation is what can you do to regain a sense of productivity, purpose, feeling like you're getting somewhere on my lower stage through lockdown myself, I have been found doing things like tidying up my spice drawer. Did, <laughs> did it solve the problems of the world? No. Did I feel calmer? Yeah, much better, mm. actually. And on the funny enough, on, it was on Halloween, wasn't it, when they announced that we were going to go into this second bout of lockdown. I was pottering around in the kitchen. My daughter came in. She just said, huh, tidied your spice drawer yet, Mum? And I was like, I am literally about to do that. <laughs> Because <laughs> it does help us feel more in control. Yeah, I think that's I think that's one of Jordan Peterson's twelve rules for life, isn't it? Tidy your bedroom, <laughs> or make yeah. your bed, something like that. Uh, so well, we've got things like that, and I think yeah, making sure that you notice them. You know, so much so much of good psychology is about overcoming your negative bias. So so you know, I've looked. We we have three, four, three. I've lost count. Anyway, let's go with that. That's Children? Another, <laughs> number five. I've totally lost count. But oh, well, sorry. Yeah, we're on to you've had you three. Can, but managing stress, negative emotions, um, the importance of them, recognizing anxiety and loss, processing space. I don't know if we're calling number four the importance of productivity. Well, Are we doing? Let, let, well, yeah. That's I'm, I might want more. Should we go for a six? But um, yeah. But I think overcoming your negativity. We'll, we'll put four at that, which is something around pursuing positivity or overcoming negativity. You know, your mind is naturally biased to the negative because they're generally the more important things to notice. Your emotions are there to grab your attention when there's risk. So um, that system plays into our tendency to focus more on negative. And, and this goes for everywhere. If you look at what stories we share and spread as humans, we, we, spread, we, we do that more with the negative than the positive. You know, bad news spreads much better than good news. And, and this is all why. Also for ourselves, though, we notice bad stuff more. We dwell on it more. We remember it more. So overcoming that tendency and pursuing positive stuff, things that make us feel good, things that trigger positive emotion and making sure that we dwell on them, that when we experience those things like little flickers of light, the sun coming out on a dull day, that we notice them, that we, that psychologists call it savoring, that we pause in mm. those moments and really get the value out of them, like squeezing the juice out of an orange, you know, don't just take the, the top bit, squeeze every last bit out. And that's 
all the more important in a season like this that has been difficult you know that old nehemiah verse talks about the joy of the lord is our strength and that hebrew word is about a fortress a hiding place it's where you retreat to in tough times now isn't it interesting to think about our human ability to find sources of joy and good stuff even in tough times to think of that as one of your most important skills for life's challenging moments for your mm. leadership because leadership is challenging mm. now, now that's interesting and, and i think our ability to do that and pursue good stuff and, and for us as people of faith to get better at our connection with God, at finding that solace in worship. You know, I love the um, A.W. Tozer quote that talks about worship as when we take our focus off ourselves and onto God, it's blessed riddance. You know, mm. in life's tough times, we have such an amazing gift in our faith and relationship with God that we always have a source of joy that is bigger, better, brighter than whatever rubbish life is throwing at us right now. But we have to grow those skills. We have to get more intentional about pursuing them and not feel guilty about building them into our life. You know, so often we feel like pursuing joy is sort of hedonistic or a bad idea. But actually, it's a basic survival skill and it's part of our need as human beings. Mm. Oh, I love that. I love that, that word savouring as well. Capturing those moments, sucking the, sucking the juice out of things. Um, you, I mean, I, that, that plays into what you, you've said elsewhere as well about the the recognition that we are a lot more resilient than we realize as human beings. You think mm -hmm. what we've been through, um, that we've not been, you know, we've not been crushed. We, you know, we are resilient. We are bearing up under this. We are going to come out of this. Uh, so we've had four. We're going for, let's go for our, our fifth one then. I appreciate just throwing this on you. Your, your mind is very uh, lucid and sharp. It's all good. It's people. People. I feel like if I went back, maybe I could make these all start with the same letter. I know, see. That's just my need for order coming back again. <laughs> anyway, it would make me feel good. Um, people. So it's another basic intrinsic human need, which interestingly, again, this season has really challenged. It's our need for people and connection. You know, again, back to Genesis, that ancient blueprint for how human beings were created. And, and the first not good, not the way it should be, is when the human being that God has created is disconnected from other human beings. You know, that's what the, what the Hebrew word means when um, that verse says it's not good for, for Adam to be alone. It's literally to be disconnected from other humans. And, you know, animals are great. Take your dog for a walk. It's great, but it's not the same as human connection. Mm. And, and that is an intrinsic need. But again, it's one that in our culture has become such a huge challenge to so many people and something that maybe in more ancient times when we lived more communally um, and when our time was less pressed and we were less bombarded and less exhausted we we did that stuff instinctively but now we need to do it intentionally and and generations particularly probably the ones certainly un, under mine but including my own are, are struggling with the this what you might have thought of as basic human skills around how to form friendship how to sustain friendship how to deepen friendship how to how to enable yourself to be vulnerable with friends you know these are these are skills that are becoming quite difficult for so many people and in a season that then suddenly said well this is fun let's take all your friends and let's then stop you from seeing any of them let's throw them all online that has challenged almost all of us in terms of how we do friendship, which friendships are most valuable, what we gain from the different friendship spaces that we're in. And, and there's, again, there's a whole wealth of fascinating stuff 
that we yeah. can learn from that. I think one of the things I've found most challenging, I guess, as a pastor is watching how people have responded on that people front. Some people have retreated into their, their marriages and have cut themselves off from anybody else. Mm. And I and I think almost going back to our previous point about the need for people to have purpose and be part of something bigger than just, just themselves you know the the sometimes the obsession with friendship is uh, i want to have my needs met by others and if my needs met by my spouse or one close friend then i'll put up the drawbridge on everybody else and just hide in my castle which actually i think there's something that as christians we're called to give unconditional love to other people and to serve people and to build be part of a community that's bigger than just our nuclear family um would you have any comments or reflections on that yeah i mean it's interesting so there's the research on how this season has affected friendships and relationships is really obviously just starting to come out um there's there's some interesting research that's been done in france looking at where they had a, a a more severe lockdown than we had looking at the impact on friendships that talks about a concept of friendship funneling which is is basically what i think almost everyone has done where you took your friendship world and you narrowed it down to the two three most essential friendships and and if you're lucky enough to have a household context where they are in the house with you then yes you may have thought i don't really need anything else and i think in the terms of a short-term acute dis disaster or unusual situation that is true we retreat to to the essentials and we can cope but but this has lasted longer than that now and i think most people are starting to recognize that just talking about that the lack of joy the lack of color in their life and that comes from the periphery the the the, the sort of friendships that you wouldn't say, well, they're my like two, three, I cannot live without this person spaces, but, but suddenly you're like, man, I really miss these people. And mm. it is the people you see at work, the, the incidental friendship, those guys you play football with, or the people you see every day at the bus stop, or, you know, people who are, they, they add something to your life and, and we've lost all of those. And so I think, yeah, encouraging us to people now in this space to think about who, who do they connect with? How do you do it? Can you reform some of those peripheral connections in this time? And when restrictions occasionally are a bit less or when you're, you have more freedom to do that, can you rediscover some of those spaces? Mm. And, and thinking about intentionality. So, so regular routines to meet up with people where you can, um, thinking about the rhythm of how you do that. Because otherwise, in a season when we are quite tired, we're quite inundated, we probably just won't do it. But, mm. but I love your point as well of thinking of the bigger picture of what this is about. And, and it, we, we are designed to act and interact with other people and, and that's good for us and it's good for them. And, and one of the things that we know about our own well-being is doing something for someone else actually obviously cheers them up but it also lifts your mood it lifts your well-being so that is a way of pursuing joy not just looking after yourself but doing things that help other people too and that plays into productivity as well doesn't it it's all so interlinked and i think mm. i think the message of this whole season really has been one of again getting away from binary stuff it's easy to think that because there's so much going on that's dark it's quite difficult it's challenging that like you say we should just retreat hide in our bunker hope it all goes away and come out then but over eight nine ten ah even eleven twelve months <laughs> you can't do that we have to recognize that if in that season of extended difficulty there is also loads of good stuff and, mm -hmm. and the more we can speak that story the more we can get that light to shine and bring out the good stuff 
that's mm. going to be good for us but it's also going to bless other people and particularly as people of faith who perhaps have that broader perspective and understanding i i think it's more than just a, a possibility that we can do that i think it's a responsibility that we do it. i think it's something we're called to do Mm, wow that's that's amazing that's really helpful i think as we as we re-emerge into whatever the the new state of being is post-pandemic i think the 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 worry would be that we we rush back to you know getting back to life as it was before and on the one hand overlooking the need to legitimize our grief and loss but like you said actually we need to look at what we're going through and go this has not all been bad has it there's been some really good things that we as people of faith have seen what god's doing in us and doing in the church and yeah it's really helpful great comments. i think it's definitely been a time of unique clarity um that there's something within me that that rebels faintly at the idea that it's been that there's been anything that's been good <laughs> because there's been, i've seen so much distress and difficulty but yeah i think it's been a time of unique clarity and there are some good recognitions some good things that we can process coming out of that that we probably don't want to miss mm. i think you're right yeah excellent so kate, um, kate that is our five we've i mean you've done amazing on, on how to yeah on how to thrive and cope and stuff like this number one managing your stress levels being aware of how close you are to overwhelm number two recognizing negative emotions and the impact of anxiety and loss that that plays in the situation number three making sure we've got some processing space and number four learning to overcome a negative mindset that we naturally are biased towards and number five the importance of valuable people in our lives and uh, the importance of people in our lives i love that phrase by the way about uh, friendship funneling how what, what i know it's cool, isn't it? i've been talking about how we narrowed down our friendships and then i read this french paper and they talked about that and i thought oh you've nailed it there yeah yeah, yeah. and you probably read it in french because you lived in france for some time right i actually did read it in french but that <laughs> makes me sound more impressive than <laughs> <laughs> hey well i mean well people already think you're very impressive so let's allow them that extra bit of my french is very bad <laughs> oh um kate dr middleton it's been a real privilege and a and a joy to spend time with you is there anything else as we conclude that uh, it is in your mind bubbling away you think i just want to leave you with this like a jerry springer's final comments <laughs> oh, Springer. God, that was that was an unexpected <laughs> one. Um, yeah, there, so there is one thing that I would say, which I was one of these unexpected clarity things, and I, I just want to leave you and anyone listening to ponder this. What does what does courage and success really look like? Because I think in a season like this, when we're talking about resilience, leadership, any of these topics, what we think is is superhuman because that's what our culture says you're supposed to get it all right all the time you're supposed to be flipping brilliant you are supposed to speak like six languages read all the books never sleep never get anything wrong you know be super impressive and and i think we sit in our own worlds and we think that's what the clever people the courageous people the effective people the people god uses that's what they're like and and i just want to say one of the moments of clarity that we need to recognize from this season is that actually that's not true. Courage and effectiveness and, and what it means to carry God well and good things well is about being willing to step out in your vulnerability. As, as human beings, you know, there have been no superhumans in this crisis. We have all been humans like Boris got COVID, didn't he? And, you know, all the frontline workers, they're not superhumans either. They're exhausted. They've been doing their best under difficult situations. You know, mm. we must recognize our leaders are not superheroes. And we are not ourselves either. And sometimes courage looks like 
lying on the floor for a bit and sobbing and then getting up again to keep doing it because mm -hmm. that's what we do and and the biblical story about how god's power is best expressed on this earth is not one of us needing to make ourselves super brilliant superhuman super perfect it is about our willingness to step out as limited vulnerable frail human beings and see what god does when we say okay use me when we can hold the stress and the anxiety and the difficulty and say do you know what i haven't got this all figured out and, and i'm struggling myself but for what it's worth i'm here and mm -hmm. and that i think is one of the things that we can reflect on we can ponder on because maybe if we can grasp that we can release more of what god could do through us and that ultimately is what the kingdom of heaven on earth is about mm -hmm. it's about god being able to act through normal messed up people like me like you like everybody is listening so wow. that would be an exciting thing for us all to learn coming out of this, I think. Beautiful. Thank you so much. That means that even if you do break your Alexa in anger, God can still use you. Absolutely. <laughs> Wonderful. Oh, um, not the Alexa then. No. <laughs> <laughs> no. to get that fixed. Thank you so much for your time. Um, it's been lovely to it's lovely to be together.